Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of suicide, murder, assault, and anti-Semitism that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On the morning of September 19, 1931, Georg and Annie Winter set down the breakfast dishes in Adolf Hitler's Munich apartment. They stepped back and waited for the lady of the house, 23-year-old Gailey Rauball, to enter the dining room. The servants had been working for Hitler for several years. They knew by now that he didn't tolerate lateness. Breakfast was always served at the same time. And that Saturday was no different, even though Hitler himself was out of town. Fifteen minutes passed, then thirty. Gailey still wasn't there. The Vinter started to get nervous. Annie realized that she hadn't seen Gailey since Friday afternoon, after Hitler was preparing to drive away and Annie left her room to wave goodbye. But Gailey, Hitler's half-niece and alleged lover, often acted erratically, especially when her uncle wasn't around. Maybe they just needed to wake her up. According to one account of that day, Annie and Georg left the dining room to check the door to Gailey's room. It was locked from the inside. Annie knocked several times but got no answer. Alarmed, the servants grabbed a screwdriver and forced the double door open. The door swung open and the couple nearly fainted. Hitler's handgun sat on the floor. Gailey was right next to it, face down in a pool of blood. This is Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last week, we covered the complicated relationship between Adolf Hitler and Gailey Raubal and the events that led up to Gailey's death in 1931. This week, we'll talk about the Nazi efforts to cover it up and the major theories around what actually happened to her. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When Hitler's servants found 23-year-old Gailey Raubal's body on September 19, 1931, she had already been dead for several hours. Rigor mortis had set in, and the blood that pooled around her from a bullet wound in her chest was black and sticky. The body was so cold that she could have easily died the night before. The Vinters knew that they needed to tell someone, but they couldn't call Hitler directly. The 42-year-old leader of the Nazi party had left the apartment in Munich, Germany, and was on his way north for a rally. The Nazi party was just starting to gain prominence in the German parliament, and Hitler had been traveling nearly every weekend to speak at rallies and slowly launch his campaign for the chancellorship. Since they couldn't reach Hitler, the housekeepers called the Nazi party headquarters. Soon, members of the Nazi elite started swarming the apartment. Finally, Hitler's private secretary, Rudolf Hess, managed to get a message to his leader by sending someone to intercept his car. Driver, speed up! I think he's trying to run us off the road! It's a kid in a car, sir. I don't think he'd be able to even if he tried. But he's waving? I don't have time for some fan. Lose him! No, he's got something in his hand. I think he has a message for you, sir. Shall I pull over? Or, uh... Yes, fine, fine. Let's get it over with. <sighs> I... I have a message about your niece, sir. It's Gailey. She's... Well, what does she want this time? Spit it out. She's dead. Sir, I'm sorry. Adolf Hitler called off the Hamburg rally and immediately sped back toward Munich. According to a staffer who was with him at the time, Hitler looked visibly destroyed by the news. Gailey was, by many accounts, the only woman he truly loved. Their relationship was incredibly complicated, though. The 23-year-old was not only Hitler's supposed romantic obsession, but also his half-niece. Gailey had started working as a housekeeper for her uncle by 1927 and their relationship allegedly took a romantic turn when, a few years later, she moved into his Munich apartment. Hitler was possessive and controlling, and rarely allowed Gailey to leave the house. After years of his poor behavior, it seems that Gailey started to tell her friends that she was going to Vienna and wasn't sure of when she would return. It seemed like she was preparing to escape the very same month that she died. In the days right before her body was found, Hitler stopped Gailey from going to Vienna. He felt it was safer to keep her at home. But sometime between the afternoon of September 18th and the morning of the 19th, 23-year-old Gailey died. The cause of death was clear. A single bullet in her chest, fired by the pistol found next to her body. It was a gun that Adolf Hitler usually kept in his bedroom. Unfortunately, the identity of the trigger man wasn't clear at all. The Vinters immediately assumed it was a suicide. According to them, Gailey had been alone for the entire afternoon and evening of the 18th 
and she had locked her bedroom door from the inside. This story would be confirmed by Nazi officials like Rudolf Hess and party treasurer Franz Xaver Schwartz, who, in some accounts, were the first to the apartment. According to another version of events, it was Hess himself who broke down the door and discovered Gailey's body, not the Vinters. In either case, these officials surveyed the scene on their own before law enforcement arrived. Despite having no medical or forensic training, they quickly agreed that Gailey's death was a suicide and made sure the police believed it too. Oh my. No need to be looking so closely, Detective. Just a sad little girl whose nerves got the best of her. I'm simply going through the usual procedures, Herr Schwartz. Well, your procedures may need to be adjusted in this case. May I see your notes? Uh, sure. I was just looking at the path of the bullet. You really won't be needing this. The party will handle it from here on. Just stand by and let us do what we do best. Understood? Yes, understood. But I just want to take another look at the angle... I don't think you want to take a look at anything. Step back, please. The Nazi treasurer encouraged the detectives to move through their investigation as quickly as possible and barred them from asking follow-up questions. He wanted to get Gailey's body out of the apartment before the press caught on. The death of Gailey Rauball had the potential to turn into a career-ending scandal for Hitler. If the public found out that he was in an incestuous relationship with his niece, his reputation would crumble. The entire Nazi experiment could be derailed. The top-level Nazis discussed what should be done. They needed to minimize gossip, but they also had to acknowledge Gailey's death somehow. Quickly, they instructed the party's press department to put out a statement saying that Hitler was in deep mourning over his young niece's suicide. But a half hour later, they made another call to party headquarters. They told their press agents to rescind the statement about Gailey's death. They wanted to leave suicide out of it and claim that her death was an accident. This second call was too late. The news of Gailey's supposed suicide had already gotten out. Since the Nazis couldn't flat out deny that Hitler's niece was dead, they needed to change the angle of the story. The gathered party leaders knew that they couldn't reveal anything about Gailey's sexual relationship with Hitler or his possessive and controlling behavior toward her. They needed to acknowledge that she committed suicide without arousing any suspicion that her uncle had driven her toward it. So the spin doctors started crafting a third statement about Gailey's motivation for killing herself and landed on a rather ridiculous explanation. Nazi press office, Dressler speaking. Good morning, Herr Dressler. It's Balder von Schirach here calling from Hitler's flat. Listen, we have an update on the passing of Hitler's poor niece. So we are telling the press that she passed now? Yes. Disregard my previous order. It would only look more suspicious to cover it up now that we've said something. The devils in the newsroom are going to ask for more details, though. What can I tell them? That's what I was getting to. We now know the niece's reason for killing herself. I'm listening. She was a singer, as you know, and was headed to Vienna for a music recital. But she was overly worried about her future in the opera, and her nerves got the best of her. That's strange. 
I'd always heard that she didn't care for music much. Such a shame. She seemed like a girl with a good head on her shoulders. Did she leave a note or anything? No. Has she told anyone she was nervous? I apologize for being so direct. I'm anticipating the follow-up questions. Just give them the story as I told you, Dressler. We can handle the rest. And don't mention that they live together. The story that Gailey was preparing for a music recital was a pure fabrication. She apparently did not excel at her voice lessons and had no scheduled performances coming up. Hitler would later reveal in a newspaper statement that Gailey had a desire to go to Vienna for a voice lesson, not for a debut concert. But even in these early years of the Nazi regime, the party had mastered the arts of propaganda and misinformation. Adolf Hitler arrived at the crime scene around 2 p.m. on September 19, 1931. Somehow he had been briefed on the official story on the way in, and through his grief tried to tow the party line. When Detective Zauer spoke with Hitler that afternoon, it's likely that their conversation went something like this. Can you tell me about your niece, Herr Hitler? My niece was a music student and a lovely young woman. And she lived in this flat with you? She stayed over occasionally, as family. Of course. And what happened in the days before her death? She wanted to study more with a voice professor in Vienna, which was all right with me. I was not against her going to Vienna. Do you have any idea of why she might have taken her own life then? No. She always was a bit unstable, though. Frankly, I never knew what would set her off. Her death is very inconvenient for me. And sad, of course. She was the only one of my relatives who I was close with. Did you love her? Yes, deeply. Despite Hitler's minor inconsistencies in the statement he released to the press, the voice recital and suicide story became the de facto explanation for Gailey's death. Over the next 48 hours, the Nazis pressured the Bavarian Minister of Justice to suspend any further investigation. The police quickly declared the death a suicide. The Nazis managed to ship Gailey's body out of Germany before the news of her death had even hit the papers on Monday, September 21st. It seemed like Hitler and the Nazis had successfully dodged an explosive scandal, but lots of questions still remained about what actually happened to Gailey Rauball. A few rumors swirled around Munich that she had been compelled to commit suicide, or that she was murdered outright by a member of the Nazi party. Coming up, we'll explore more of the evidence that does not match up with the official explanation. Listeners, this month marks 60 years since John F. Kennedy became the 35th President of the United States, ushering his already prominent family into the highest enclaves of political power. But behind their storied successes lie secrets and scandals so severe, if it were any other lineage, they would have been left in ruin. This January, to commemorate this iconic milestone, dig into the dramas of a real-life American dynasty in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. 
This exclusive series from Spotify features your favorite ParCast hosts, including me, covering every angle of the Kennedys from shows like Today in True Crime, Conspiracy Theories, Crime Countdown, and others. Assassinations and conspiracies, corruption and cover-ups, international affairs, and extramarital ones, too. Examine all of the Kennedy family's most controversial moments all in one place. You can binge all 12 episodes of this limited series starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Follow The Kennedys free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to our story. After Gailey Rauball's death was hastily labeled a suicide by the Munich Police Department, Nazi officials wasted no time getting rid of her body. At some point that weekend, they transported the 23-year-old remains out of East Cemetery in Munich. Then they loaded her into a car and sent her to a cemetery in Vienna. As the body crossed into Austria, the Nazi party likely breathed a sigh of relief. They had successfully quashed any official investigation into Gailey's cause of death and kept the nature of Gailey's relationship with Adolf Hitler a secret. Hitler had the final say on where his niece's body was buried and chose Vienna. Burying her outside of Germany was undeniably convenient for the Nazis. Because her remains were out of the country, no one could re-examine her body if an inquest was called. As Gailey's body was shipped to Vienna, Hitler left Munich and hid out at a lakeside retreat with his closest advisors. He remained inconsolable for days. The Nazi leader refused to eat and paced sleeplessly throughout the night. At some point, Rudolf Hess hid all of the guns in the vacation house after Hitler threatened to kill himself. Hitler's depression and worries about the press are likely what stopped him from attending Gailey's funeral, which took place at a Catholic cemetery on September 23, 1931. He sent a few high-ranking party members to represent him instead. The other guests were Gailey's mother and her two siblings, Leo and Elfrida Rauball. When Gailey's family was questioned about her cause of death, they agreed that it was a suicide. But behind closed doors, the Rauballs weren't so sure. I'm sorry, Mother, but I refuse to believe it. I know. It still doesn't feel real. That's not what I mean. Do you really think that she did that herself? Of course I do. It's the truth. A priest buried her, Mother. Catholic priests don't bury people who commit suicide. Well, perhaps he made an exception for your Uncle Adolf. Everyone makes exceptions for Uncle Adolf. Don't you see what I'm saying? Even if he didn't do it himself, don't you see the thousands of men who would have easily done it for him? Be careful, Leo. If they say she killed herself, she killed herself. 
Leo Raubal wasn't the only person to question how his sister died. In fact, in the weeks after her death, multiple newspapers pointed out inconsistencies in the Nazis' official story. Even within the police department, some likely found it hard to believe that Gailey had committed suicide. The puncture wound in her lung would have required her to hold a pistol to her chest at a nearly impossible angle. It was also unlikely that the gun had gone off by accident. After years at Hitler's side, Gailey was very comfortable with firearms. She had even used that same pistol at the shooting range before. There was no suicide note either. The only thing on her desk was a half-finished letter to a friend in Austria, cut off in the middle of a word. Gailey had been planning to visit Vienna for a long time, but Hitler had abruptly canceled her plans, telling her he didn't want her to leave Munich. It's unclear why exactly her uncle barred her from visiting Vienna, or why Gailey was so set on going in the first place. One rumor is that she was pregnant, either with Hitler's child or another man's, and that she was leaving the country to either quietly have the baby or get an abortion. Some accounts claim that she had a secret lover in Vienna, and that she was using the pregnancy as an excuse to run away with him. Some even describe this mysterious man as a Jewish music teacher or artist. But if he exists, he has never been identified. There is also no clear evidence that she was pregnant because an autopsy was never performed. Regardless of her reasons for going, Gailey seemed to remain optimistic. In her last letter to her friend, she wrote that she would visit, hopefully very soon. The note seems remarkably positive for someone who is preparing to kill herself, and the fact that her handwriting abruptly stopped in the middle of a word made it look especially suspicious. There are conflicting accounts of what Gailey's body looked like when it was found. One highly contested detail was the state of her nose. Most agree that she was face down in a pool of blood, but a few also say that there were signs of a physical struggle, that Gailey's body was covered in bruises and her nose was broken. All of the official statements from police and medical examiners say that she had no marks on her body and her nose was intact but it's difficult to believe any of these statements because the Nazis were so well-connected in the city and were desperate to avoid a scandal. They were already known for killing off their enemies. They could have easily intimidated anyone into backing up their story. As such, it's difficult to find any information about Gailey that was not tainted by Nazi efforts to control and shape the narrative. Anti-Nazi papers like the Muchener Post are likely probably more reliable than official documents, which could have been tampered with. These newspapers took a more skeptical view of the suicide narrative, but their versions are still riddled with inconsistencies and possible mistakes. One report from the Muchener Post read as follows. A 23-year-old music student, a niece of Hitler's, has shot herself. For two years, the girl had been living in a furnished room in a flat on the same floor on which Hitler's flat was situated. What drove the girl to kill herself is unknown. She was the daughter of Hitler's half-sister. On Friday, 18th September, there was once again a violent quarrel between Herr Hitler and his niece. What was the reason? The vivacious 23-year-old music student, Gailey, wanted to go to Vienna. She wanted to become engaged. Hitler was strongly opposed to this. 
the two had recurrent disagreements about it. After a violent scene, Hitler left his flat. On Saturday, 19th September, it was reported that Fraulein Gehle had been found shot in the flat with Hitler's gun in her hand. In the weeks immediately following Gailey's death, the Muchener Post popularized the theory that she was running away to Vienna to marry another man. It also brought up her broken nose and heavily implied that Hitler was physically violent, even if he didn't do the killing himself. But the staunchly anti-Nazi reporters at the Muchener Post and other resistance newspapers were never able to fully piece the story together. And after the Nazi party threatened to sue the main anti-Nazi newspaper that questioned their official narrative, the stories started to fade. A few months later, Hitler was continuing his campaign, and the name Gailey Raubal had completely disappeared from the headlines. But there was one investigative reporter who refused to drop the story. Fritz Gerlich was a reporter in Munich who, until only recently, had been a prominent editor at a right-wing nationalist newspaper. Gerlich abruptly changed his politics after a religious conversion and launched his own anti-Nazi magazine. It was called Der Gerader Weg, which translates to The Right Way. The writer used his magazine to condemn Nazism as a spiritual plague, and warned that Germany was on its way toward disaster if Hitler wasn't stopped. When he heard the news of Gailey's death in 1931, he likely saw an opportunity to discredit Hitler and throw off his rise to national power. He began obsessively collecting information about Gailey Raubal and Hitler's relationship with her. He refused to stop even as the Nazis became the largest party in the Reichstag or German parliament in the summer of 1932. But when Hitler suddenly became chancellor in early 1933, Gerlich must have known that the clock was ticking. He started to piece together all of his evidence and prepared to publish it in pamphlet form in March of that year. What exactly Gerlich planned to say in his pamphlet remains a mystery, and there's been a lot of speculation. According to one theory that Gerlich may have held, Hitler was not on his way to a northern town on the night of Gailey's death. He had instead postponed the trip and taken her to a beer hall where they sat in a private room until the early hours of the morning. As a journalist, it is possible that Gerlich interviewed the beer hall owner who could have confirmed that Hitler was in his restaurant that night. This man might also have claimed that he had seen Hitler arguing with Gailey and even drinking alcohol, which Hitler rarely did. In this version of the story, Hitler and Gailey then went back to the apartment. There, they continued to fight about Gailey's trip to Vienna. Eventually, the drunk and abusive Hitler threatened her with his pistol and shot her. On March 9th, 1933, Gerlich was putting the finishing touches on his pamphlet when he saw a group of around 50 SS agents outside of his office. Gerlich knew he was in danger. His friends and family had warned him not to go into his office anymore, but he was intent on publishing his expose later that week. When he heard the knock at the door, he must have known what was coming. After speaking with many witnesses, Hitler's involvement in the girl's death seemed to be undeniable. The question, then, is... <gasps> Hiding something, Herr Gerlich? Look, 
I know why you're here. I know what I've done. I'll go in peace. Just please, don't hurt my family. You really think you're going to get off that easy? The SS officers smashed all of the machines in Gerlich's office and destroyed every scrap of paper in the building, including the draft of Gerlich's explosive cover story. Gerlich was sent to prison and then the Dachau concentration camp. Gerlich was killed during the night of the Long Knives in the summer of 1934. In one final horrible gesture, the SS officers took Gerlich's glasses off his dead body at Dachau and sent them to his wife. They were smashed and splattered with Gerlich's blood. This cruel act could have been intended as a sadistic reminder of the Nazis' power, but the message also might have been more pointed. As reporter Ron Rosenbaum writes in an essay for Vanity Fair, by looking into the story of Gailey's death and concluding that Hitler had killed her, Gerlich had, quite literally, seen too much. And from the Nazis' point of view, he needed to be punished for it. Next, we'll look at Gailey's legacy and how it haunted Hitler throughout World War II. And now, back to the story. Once 43-year-old Hitler gained the chancellorship in 1933, he started to systematically suspend civil liberties and target the Jewish population. After building the first concentration camp at Dachau and purging his political opponents during the Night of the Long Knives, Hitler declared himself Führer. He dropped any pretext of democratic rule and used his newfound absolute power to further restrict the rights of the Jews. But even as Hitler became the most formidable dictator in the world, the ghost of Gailey Rauball seemed to nag at him. Many in Hitler's inner circle noticed a change in his mood after Gailey died. Even after his initial bout of depression passed, he seemed gloomier. Hitler had never been a happy man, but when Gailey was alive, it wasn't uncommon to see him laughing, smiling, or playing the piano with her. After her death, he wasn't the same. There is even one account that Hitler stopped eating meat after he saw the medical examiners removing the bullet from Gailey's body, though this has not been corroborated. In another account, he ordered his staff to leave Gailey's room exactly as it was, only cleaning up the blood stains and to replace the flowers on the nightstand every week. He kept the room locked and carried the key in his pocket. At some point, Hitler asked a sculptor to make a bronze bust of Gailey for him and reportedly had copies made for his various residences and offices. And every Christmas, Hitler was also said to visit Munich and walk through Gailey's room like it was a shrine, touching each of her belongings and weeping. Merry Christmas, mein Führer. So good to see you in Munich again. I have missed this place. There's coffee and pastries on the kitchen table if you'd like them. I'm going to Gailey's room. Right. I'll grab the key. Already have it. I tried to dust once a week, but... Shut up! 
I need silence. Her clothes, her books, her stationery, just as she left it. Oh, look at that handwriting. So delicate and precise. Merry Christmas, Gailey. Even after Hitler got together with Eva Brown, it's believed that he still considered Gailey the love of his life. He met Brown in 1930, when his relationship with Gailey was still strong, and it's unclear when they started dating. In fact, some think that Gailey was intensely jealous of Brown and committed suicide after she found a love letter from her in Hitler's room. By 1936, Brown was living at Hitler's chalet. The exact nature of their relationship and Hitler's feelings for her remain a mystery, but it is likely that Hitler controlled Brown in much of the same ways he did with Gailey. Hitler likely monitored Brown's every movement, and the press later called her the girl in the gilded cage. Brown was clearly unhappy and tried to take her own life twice before she completed a suicide pact with Hitler in 1945. In fact, according to historian Robert Waite, of the seven women who had sexual or romantic relationships with Hitler, six either committed suicide or attempted to do so. It's possible that this is coincidence, but it's also worth asking if these women took their own lives because of their partnerships with Hitler. That number counts Gailey Rauball's death as a suicide, but as we've established, there is plenty of reason to doubt that explanation. And if Gailey was murdered, these other women could have been as well. Unfortunately, many of the questions around Gailey's death will never be answered. Her body was moved into an unmarked grave after World War II. A few amateur historians have petitioned the city of Vienna to exhume the body and examine it for evidence, but their requests are consistently denied. Most, if not all, of the historical records relating to Gailey's death were destroyed or changed while the Nazis were in power, and many of the memoirs and testimonies that inform the theories around her death come from fairly unreliable sources. Because nearly every eyewitness was intimidated into staying silent, the best sources we have are secondhand memories and vague versions of events that were written years after the fact. And many of these versions come from former Nazis who were either trying to save face after the war by humiliating Hitler or deliberately trying to protect his legacy. Basically, it's nearly impossible to come to any real conclusions. A final piece of evidence comes from a French newspaper in 1939, where Father Johann Pant, the priest who buried Gailey, wrote a letter to the editor after seeing Gailey's name mentioned in an article. Even this artifact, however, has had doubt cast on it in recent years. It was I who buried the little Gailey. They pretended that she committed suicide. I should never have allowed a suicide to be buried in consecrated ground. From the fact that I gave her Christian burial, you can draw conclusions which I cannot communicate to you. As far as Father Pant knew, Gailey did not take her own life. The priest was close to Gailey's family, and some believe he shared his suspicions with Gailey's brother, who became convinced that she was murdered. But her brother did not think that his uncle was the killer, 
1967, he reportedly said that Adolf Hitler was absolutely innocent in Gailey's death. So who could have killed Gailey? If we believe the journalist Fritz Gerlich, Hitler is still a possibility. The Nazi leader may have realized that his relationship with his niece was a scandal just waiting to happen and wanted to dispense with her before the 1932 elections. He also may have been worried that she knew too much about the inner workings of the Nazi party and could spill their secrets if she ran away. In the alternate timeline, where Hitler stayed in Munich on Friday afternoon, he also may have lost his temper while under the influence and killed Gailey in a blind rage. This could be connected to the rumor that Gailey was pregnant when she died. Hitler was reportedly terrified of having children because he was ashamed of his family background. He worried that both he and Gailey had Jewish blood and that their child would out him as a hypocrite. In another popular version of the pregnancy rumor, Gailey was carrying the child of another man, a Jewish art or music teacher she had met in Vienna. It's easy to see how Hitler's violent anti-Semitism, combined with his possessiveness over Gailey and the rare influence of alcohol, could lead him to murder. But it's also possible that Gailey killed herself. According to those who knew her in the fall of 1931, her life had become unbearable. She was locked inside of the Munich apartment and may have been emotionally and or sexually abused by her uncle and saw no way out. Her solo trip to Vienna was going to be her first taste of freedom in a long time. When it was abruptly canceled, she may have thought that suicide was her only option. Some historians think that Nazi leaders despise Gailey and wish that Hitler would get rid of her. One of the most respected Hitler researchers, Konrad Haydn, theorizes that a member of the party could have talked Gailey into taking her own life. Haydn points out that the Nazis were obsessed with the concept of honorable suicide. He thinks a high-ranking member, perhaps Heinrich Himmler, may have called Gailey late at night when Hitler was gone and she was already emotionally vulnerable. This official might have convinced Gailey that she had betrayed her uncle and the Nazi cause by trying to run away and that the only solution was to kill herself. This theory does seem far-fetched, but it's hard to apply any sort of logic to actions taken by the Nazis. I personally think that Gailey's life was so miserable and restricted that she may have seen no way out and decided to take her own life. It's possible that a member of the party compelled her to do it, but maybe that wasn't necessary. Really? I think that the half-written letter is enough to show that she was not in the headspace to commit suicide. I think that someone from the Nazi party killed her. Probably not Hitler himself, but someone who saw her as a threat to the party's future. Honestly, it's hard to come to any sort of conclusion about this when so much of the evidence was warped or hidden by the Nazis. But we can be sure that Gailey Rauball's death was the product of her bond with her uncle Adolf Hitler. Whether he killed her directly, hired someone to do it, or drove her to suicide, Hitler was responsible for Gailey's death. It's tempting to paint her as his first victim, but she was not. Dozens had died, directly or indirectly, due to Hitler's cruelty before Gailey, and millions would die after. 
By all accounts, Hitler adored Gailey Rauball, but that didn't stop him from abusing, controlling, and ultimately killing her. Her strange life and even stranger death might remind us that no one was ever truly safe around Adolf Hitler. His hatred and cruelty destroyed everything he touched, including the woman he loved. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Gailey Rauball, amongst the many sources we used, we found Hitler and Gailey by Ronald Heyman extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Kylie Harrington, with writing assistance by River Donahue and Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Bill Butts, Eddie Lee, Laura Faye Smith, and Dan Velasquez. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Fact, fiction, fame. Discover the real story behind one of history's most formidable families in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. Remember, you can binge all 12 episodes starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.